just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Thursday. We're moving through the week. It's been a little crazy out there. To be perfectly honest, it's crazy every fucking week. Remember the good old days when we didn't worry about politics, looked at news now and again, but tried to enjoy life? Well, you still should try to enjoy life, but there's plenty of news to keep up with. And the unfortunate thing is where you go to get your news, cable television, network television, the Internet, very often the news that you get isn't exactly, I don't know, accurate or at least not complete. They don't tell you everything. So that's what we try to fix here on the Rational Boomer. We've got a few emails before we get started, so let's go through them. I appreciate the emails, by the way. I think it adds to the show quite a lot, and I would encourage you to keep writing emails. All you have to do is send your email to rationalboomer at gmail.com, or I have another email that former guest Dewey helped me set up, and it's mike at rationalboomer.com. So either one or both, it doesn't matter. I'll probably ultimately switch to the mic at rationalmoomer.com, but but not for a while. People are used to the other, and I'm not going to set that aside as yet. Anyhow, the first email comes to us from a gentleman by the name of Paul. He says, agreed with many points in Wednesday's podcast. Many 15-year-olds have difficulty accepting responsibility for failings or errors. Trump has always reminded me of a 15-year-old. Trump, the orange Peter Pan, the boy who never grew up, and his followers, (laughs) the Lost Boys. I sense a little contempt there, Paul. I like it. We live in a society where being entitled and self-focused is okay. The 1980s was the me decade when the likes of Trump thrived. The recent look at me decade enables Trump's style and actions to get a pass by many. Trump, a septuagenarian, was raised and has lived his life as the atypical little rich boy. Most of us have encountered this type of person raising hell and living their best lives with zero respect for others, the consequences or the law. Best lesson for Mr. T is to take him out behind the judicial woodshed for some overdue life coaching. Thanks for your daily podcast, Paul. Paul, I give you credit for colorful writing, and I think you hit the nail on the head. Quite frankly, I agree with you 100%. From the day Donald Trump was born, he had a silver spoon in his ass or his mouth. (laughs) Probably both, knowing him. Um. But he's been allowed to do and say whatever he wants. There is no consequences. Every failing, which is frequent with Donald Trump, he was bailed out from dad, from Russia, from all these people. And he was able to speak loud and proud and tell people he's a billionaire and tell people he's successful and a great businessman. And for whatever reason, people believed him. 
See, the perception was that he had a lot of money, and at one time or another, he did have some money. But because he is a failure at life and in business, that money soon slipped away. We can tell by his tax returns that we've now seen that he is nowhere near a billionaire. In fact, all his tax returns tell us is that he loses a lot of money. Now, I don't know much about billionaires. I'm not a billionaire. I'm not a millionaire. I'm more of a thousandaire, you know, your average everyday thousandaire. But here's what I would gather about billionaires. Billionaires don't become billionaires because they lose money every year. That just doesn't seem to make any sense. So, but the point is, and, and, and Paul makes a good point here, and he's absolutely right. Here's a spoiled little rich kid who's never been accountable for anything. And he just bullied his way through, and for whatever reason, people have allowed him to do it. Well, now he's hitting a brick wall, and Paul is exactly right. This is going to be quite an awakening for Donald Trump because for the first time, he is going to be accountable for those crimes, corruption, and misdeeds that he's, he's done on this country and to the people around him. He is going to be taken out behind the judicial woodshed for some overdue life coaching. And you can almost hear it in his true social posts. He's kind of flailing. He's kind of going crazy. He's saying weird shit. I mean, weirder shit than he normally said, because he really doesn't know what to do. He's in an uncomfortable position. He's in a place he's never been before. All his little tricks, all his bullying, all his bullshitting and trying to control the narrative aren't working anymore. And every day it's getting worse. His grip on the Republican Party is starting to slip. The interest in Donald Trump is starting to fade. And without that interest and without that grip, Donald Trump is nothing. I mean, Donald Trump has always been nothing, but he's hid behind this perception that he's something. But he's never really done anything to say he's something. Well, I'll say that uh, The uh, Apprentice was a fairly popular show. I will give him that. But Donald, for the most part, the only thing he's good at is being the dancing monkey. There is no substance behind him. He hasn't really accomplished anything but got attention. He's like a carnival barker, for fucking Christ's sake. And Paul, you're right. He is going to get an awakening here very shortly. It won't, it will, you know, it will be money too. He's always had access to money. But that's starting to dry up now. That's going to be a problem for him. He won't be able to live the lifestyle he wants to live. He won't be able to say and do the things he wants to do. In fact, I'm going to talk about uh, some of his fundraising for his upcoming (laughs) presidential campaign. I've told you before, I'll tell you again, Donald Trump will not be the Republican candidate for president, and I don't even think he can even carry off a third-party candidacy when he gets to 2024. That's two years away. That's a long time from now. A lot of shit will change, and one person who's going to go through the most changes over the next two years is going to be Dirty Diaper Donnie Trump. I fucking guarantee it. 
All right, we have another email. By the way, thanks very much, Paul. Uh, the next email comes to us from Deborah. She says, I was so sad to see police do what they did to get away so far with beating death of that man on on the new me and my husband scene. We live in a little town. There's some typos here, and I'm having trouble reading it. We live in a little town. Watch. uh, There's a city we both said to each other, we think that someday it maybe could happen here because it is a little city. They don't care. It's a lot to do with money here. So Deborah's saying she's living in a small town. She sees this thing that happens where this young black man was beaten. And she's concerned that it might happen in her community. And frankly, in my mind, I have to wonder if it isn't more likely in a smaller community. I may be wrong about this. But when you look at police departments in small communities, they're very isolated. They're not very high profile in the world of news. I would suspect there's a lot of things that happen in those small communities that we never hear about because the communities are so tight-knit. But the, the point is, Deborah, whether it happens in a small community or a big community, the real issue is we've got a dangerous culture in our police departments. You know, we had the people say defund the police departments, and that's a national, natural, emotional reaction. These people are horrible, so let's take the money away and get rid of them. Well, that's not a good decision. That's not a rational decision. As I've said before, what we need to do is get a better class of people in our police departments. And in order to do that, we have to make it more of a professionally run organization. Now, the police departments tend to want to go more militaristic. But the fact is, they're there to protect and serve, not to fight a fucking war. So to compare them to the military makes no goddamn sense. It's not a good choice either. As I've said, we need to fund the police departments better to hire a better quality of people, train them physically and mentally and emotionally, and test them emotionally to make sure they are the right person for the job, that they can handle the stress and the strain of being a police officer. And then the final final thing you have to do is make them accountable. I mean, very accountable. We have unions in police departments that allow police officers to get away with anything. And what we all know is once somebody gets away with something, they will continue to do it and laugh in the face of the people that don't like it. So if you get these people who are well-paid, well-trained, well-tested, and ready to do the job they were hired for, again, protect and serve, not to fight a battle. If we can get those people, then when they fuck up, they should be gone immediately. It's almost like a dog that bites. If he's going to bite, chances are he's always going to bite, so you have to do something with that situation. And that's the same with police officers. You put a guy out on the streets or a gal out on the streets with a little power and a gun, that could spell trouble if they're not in the right emotional state of mind. Those are the people we got to get out of our police departments. We can't survive without police departments. We just need better people in our police departments. Now, how we do that, I laid out what I think, but 
now you've got the government that needs to address it. And then you've got the Republicans who want to obstruct it. So it's a tough situation. But we certainly cannot continue watching servants of our communities killing its own citizens. It makes no fucking sense. Deborah, I hope you don't see this in your smaller community. But I know what you're saying. I've lived in small communities. When you've got people with money and power, they kind of control things in those small towns. And a lot of times those police departments cater to those wealthy people. And when they cater to those wealthy people, it kind of depends on what those wealthy people are like. If they don't like people of color, well, then you're going to see these small town cops pulling over people of color in their cars for no fucking reason. And that's where things go off the rails. So I can appreciate your concern, Deborah, and hopefully that won't be the case. Next email comes from Will. He says, Sir, Will, don't call me Sir. I've never had anybody call me. Well, I've had people call me Sir, and I correct them. I'm not above you. <laughs> I'm not superior to you. Uh, call me Mike. Call me RB. Mike is better. That's my fucking name. Anyway, he says, sir, you just came up on my For You page on TikTok, and I love what you're doing. It makes me feel better about my country hearing you. I'm a retired Air Force and retired after 21 years to remain overseas where I felt my children would be safe in school and have an overall better life. I've been in England since 2015 and out of the U.S. since 2014 and can't imagine coming back unless my children decide to attend university there. I love the U.S., but the stupid is too much for me to handle. I'm begrudgingly paying £27,000 a year in taxes in the U.K. and overall sacrifice about $30,000 in average salary for what I do by not being in the U.S. One of my British colleagues said I sounded like a politician because of the way I answered question, and I was mildly offended because of the caliber of dumbasses in Congress now, mostly on the red side, but I digress. If you ever want to have a conversation with an expat military guy who still sees the Fox News effects in the military, drop me a line. Will. Well, Will, you're a listener, so you're more than welcome to come on the show. And it's not a question of whether I want you or not. Of course I do. I've said all listeners can come on the show anytime they want. But the onus is on you, Will. You send me an email like you sent this one and say, Hey, Mike, I want to be on the show. And I'll say, Okay, when are you available? You're in England, so the time zone's different. How do we work that out? It's no problem. We hook up via Zoom. We do a conversation for about an hour. It's as simple as that. There's no procedures. There's no qualifications. You're a listener. You can be on the show. And it would be an interesting show to find somebody who is an expat living in England, dealing with some of the difficulties over there, because England's not a perfect place either. But why you chose to leave the country. Sadly, I think there's a lot of people in this country now that would like to say, you know, fuck it. I'll just go live in Canada or some other country. I was listening. There's a podcast I really like listening to. It has nothing to do with politics, really. 
but he is one of the kings of podcasting at this point. It's a comedian by the name of Mark Marin, uh, and he has a great show. If you haven't listened to it, by all means, listen to it. It's nothing like this show. Uh, celebrities on it, and he does interviews and such. And, and, and Mark Marin's an interesting guy. He's got some neurosis of his own. He's got a little OCD. He's got a little anxiety, and he admits this all on the show. But he said something that was interesting. He was born in New Jersey, raised in New Mexico, and he's been having trouble with this whole Trump bullshit. He's worried about the country. So he actually went up to Canada and worked on getting dual citizenship in Canada and America. And people always ask him, are you going to move to Canada? Cool places to live in Canada. Toronto's fucking awesome. So is Montreal, Vancouver. A lot of places in a Calgary. There's a lot of places in Canada that would be cool to live in. It's not going to be warmer than where he is in California. But that's a small price to pay if you feel safer in a different country. And the thing is, I'm guessing he'll never move to Canada. It's just kind of a safety net for him. Or he's so fed up here. I ran into somebody one time, and this girl was a little fucking nuts anyway. <clears throat> and she was saying, I'm going to rescind my <laughs> my citizenship in the United States. I'm just so fed up with him. I said, well, honey, what do you think that's going to accomplish? I'm just fed up with it. I'm going to leave. And I said, I don't mean this in a mean way. But do you think anybody other than your family will care? Do you think people in Washington are going to say, well, she left. We better straighten this shit out. No, they don't fucking care. It doesn't do any good to run away. And now, Will, I'm not saying you ran away. You had a reason to be over in England. And I've thought many times, God, it would be cool to live in a different country for a time. I could easily do it. Um, just quit paying bills here, go to there, and I don't know what the tax ramifications are, but I'm retired, so I'm dealing with you know Social Security and 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 uh, um, pensions and stuff like that. I'd like to do it. I can't do it because my grandkids are here. I could be away from my kids for a while and keep in touch with them, but not my grandkids. Fuck, I got a basketball game on Saturday, and my grandson and granddaughter will be there. I got to fucking be there. I'll tell you how bad it is as far as us not wanting to miss out on things with our grandkids. I've told you before, I, my wife and I have a little condo in Savannah, Georgia, which we love. And it's been a while since we've been down there. And my wife and I said, well, let's go down there this Saturday and just stay till Wednesday or something, which we are going to do. Then my wife looks at me and she goes, oh, there's a basketball game at nine. And uh, she said, but fortunately, there's a flight at one. So we can go do the basketball game and then go directly from the basketball game to the airport and fly to Savannah. That's, that, that's how important it is to us. There's a lot of people in this country that are frustrated with the way this country is going. And I understand it, too. We've seen turbulent times, trials and tribulations. But this is a little different. I mean, back in the 60s, you had the riots and you had the war and you had drugs and you had all this stuff going on. 
But now it's a different situation. I mean, even then when we had Nixon, he was corrupt and criminal, but he still seemed relatively competent in his job as president. And the members of Congress seemed maybe corrupt, maybe criminal, but at least competent. They had a fucking clue of what they're doing. But when we look at our government now, Donald Trump, Jim Jordan, Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, all these Republicans, over and above being corrupt and criminal, they seem to be just oblivious to what this country is about, what government's about, what the Constitution means, and that is troubling. So I understand people's interest in leaving the country. It's weird out there. And that's kind of why we do what we do here. Hopefully give people better information. Our media has done a horrible job of fully informing people. They tell you what they want you to hear that's going to make you afraid or mad or whatever, just so they can hook you into the clickbait. Well, we've got some serious shit going on in this country, and you need to know exactly what's going on so you can get a better perception of how this is going to work. Just because Jim Jordan says, I'm going to start a committee to investigate the FBI and their investigations, doesn't mean it's going to fucking happen. But there are some people that think it is going to happen, just because this member of Congress said it. But these people that think it's really going to happen don't understand how the system works. It's got to pass the House of Representatives, which is almost unlikely, given the split currently in the House of Representatives. But then in order for it to pass, it's got to go to the Senate, then it's got to go to the president. So you see, none of it is going to happen. But still, we got people worried about it. Why are they fucking worried? It's just a bunch of noise. Disregard the noise. Keep your voice loud until we can shut these fuckers down. So uh, yesterday, we had an interesting occurrence, and I know it's got the Republicans all abuzz. President Joe Biden's personal attorney announced Wednesday that the FBI agents found no classified documents at Biden's Rehoboth, I think that's how you pronounce it, Delaware home. It's his, it's his summer home or weekend home. It's on a beach. Looked pretty nice, too. The DOJ's planned search of the president's uh, residence conducted in coordination with the president's attorneys has concluded. The search was conducted from 8.30 a.m. till noon. No documents with classified markings were found. Biden's attorney, Bob Bauer, said in a statement, they did take some materials and handwritten notes that appear to be related to his time as vice president, he added. Now, of course, the Republicans are, are uh, saying, why did you raid Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago? Which they didn't do. They, did, they, they, they had a search warrant. A court said, go in and search. But for whatever reason, these trump want to equivocate what's going on with Joe Biden and what happened with Donald Trump. And that is absolutely ridiculous. There is no comparison. Now, that said, the fact that there were classified documents on Joe Biden's property and his think tank 
and Mike Pence's property for that matter, is absolutely unacceptable. I don't know how that occurred, and it tells us a lot about our system when it comes to dealing with classified documents. These are supposed to be kept in safe places and under guard because they are dangerous to our security, the security of this country. But somehow they happen to be laying around all over the place. So I'm not letting Biden off the hook for this. But there's still no comparison between what happened with Biden and or Pence and Donald Trump. Joe Biden's lawyers found some classified documents in his think tank. They immediately called the National Archives. They immediately returned them. Then they searched the, uh, um, his home, his main home, and in the garage and a couple of other places, they found more documents. Now, Joe Biden's attorneys also looked at this vacation home in, um, I don't even know how to pronounce it, Rehoboth, Delaware. And they went in to search it, and of course, they found nothing So then the FBI said, you know, let us search it too, which is the wise thing to do. Even though Biden's people searched it, it's better to have an impartial group like the FBI go in and look for it, and they found nothing. So Joe Biden, as much as this is a mistake that these top secret and classified documents were found in his possession, or at least in the properties that he owns and runs, It doesn't appear as though he grabbed them, stuffed them down his pants, and took them home. For whatever reason, these were left laying around. It was a mistake. There was no question about it. And Joe Biden did the absolute right thing. He called the National Archives and the FBI and said, we got these. Come get them. And they did. So they did all the right things. The search on his vacation home I get the impression that Biden even encouraged this. I think Biden got a bit of a sting when they found these documents, even though it was his own people that found these documents. That was the kind of press he didn't need. So what he wanted to do is get it done with and get it done properly. So I think not only did he allow the FBI in his second home, he encouraged them to do it because he wanted to be done with it. Everybody's trying to make the comparison between Biden and Donald Trump, the Republicans anyway, and you just can't do that. There is no comparison, because let's look at Trump real briefly. We've talked about this before. Donald Trump left the White House on January 20th, 2021. He loaded what seems like 40 boxes, thousands of documents onto the plane, brought them down to Mar-a-Lago, put them in a closet with a, just out there in the open, and had these documents. For what reason, we don't totally know now. Was it his ego? Was he selling it to the Russians? Was he using it for leverage when somebody indicts him? You know, you're indicted. Okay, yeah, but I got these top secret documents. If you don't stop indicting me, I'm going to send these to fucking Russia or Saudi Arabia. Sounds crazy, but that's exactly how Donald Trump's mind works. He's fucked in the head. So nobody knows why he he got them. 
Now, when the National Archives realized he had a bunch of documents, they said, hey, give us our documents back. So he loaded up about 15, 16 boxes and said, here you go. And the National Archives says, well, yeah, but there's more. He goes, no, there's not. Even his lawyers wrote out an affidavit um, testifying to the fact that there were no more classified documents in Mar-a-Lago. The mistake the lawyers made is they took Donald Trump's word for it, a known pathological liar. (coughs) So then there was a subpoena put out by the FBI. For 60 days, there was no response from Donald Trump. He was not complying with the subpoena. He thought he could just ignore it. So the natural progression of things would be the FBI would say, well, if you're not complying with a a, uh, subpoena, we're going to issue a search warrant. And that's what they did. And guess what? They found another 20 boxes of documents, thousands of documents. Joe Biden did everything he was supposed to do. Donald Trump did nothing he was supposed to do. And by doing nothing, he was breaking the law. Joe Biden didn't break a law. He did what he was supposed to do. Donald Trump broke every fucking law there could possibly be. I see some of these trump trying to debate this issue, how bad it is for Joe Biden to have these documents. But when they're pressed about what Donald Trump did, they, they stare like deer in the headlights. They don't know what to say. They're arguing an inarguable argument. <laughs> There's no answer for it. And you can divert, distract, and delay all you want, but it ain't going to work. The facts are the facts, and they're out there. Donald Trump is under federal investigation for his activities with said classified documents. Joe Biden is not. So if anybody tries to tell you that what Joe Biden did was just as bad as Donald Trump, no, it's not even fucking close. Not even fucking close. Joe Biden has done what he wanted to do here. He's trying to be as accommodating as he can. He's letting them see everything, search his homes, do whatever they have to do so he can get it done and get it behind him. And then we can focus on Donald Trump's egregious behavior. That investigation is going to continue. There will be no investigation Uh, at least for crimes with Joe Biden. As far as I can tell, there were no crimes committed as long as he's willing to give them back. Donald Trump's a whole different story. The fact of the matter is, as much as they want to compare Joe Biden to Donald Trump, it's really more of a contrast. It's a lesson for the Republicans and for Donald Trump. If you have top secret and classified documents, what do you do? You give them back to the people that should have them and you comply with every request and every search that they suggest. Now, they searched three different locations with Joe Biden. They found like 12 or 15 documents. They've only searched one location with Donald Trump. They found 40 boxes of classified documents, thousands of classified documents that he intentionally took out of the White House, knowing that that was against the law. 
because even if he didn't know, the lawyers around him certainly did. So there's a vast difference between the two. If anything, Donald Trump should get from what happened with Joe Biden is to learn a lesson as to what you do if you just happen to have some classified documents. Throw in the fact that it was intentional, there's where the crimes come in. And Donald Trump will be held responsible for these, ultimately, when and where, I'm not sure. But there's so many things hanging over Donald Trump's head now, it doesn't even matter if it's the first thing or the fifth thing. It doesn't even really matter. As long as we get that first indictment, we in business. (laughs) All right, we are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Well, we've been hearing the stories of how Kevin McCarthy is pulling Eric Swalwell and Adam Schiff off committees for no other reason than revenge. Really shitty reasons. And at the same time, he put George Santos on some lower-level committees. Well, he started getting heat for that, and... uh, All of a sudden, George Santos decides, hey, I'm going to show a little integrity, which isn't in his nature. And George Santos steps down from the committees he was appointed to. Now, they're trying to make us believe that um, George Santos is doing the right thing. Well, he's not. Kevin McCarthy met with him the day before he stepped down. And I can guarantee you what happened. I talked about this in the previous podcast. McCarthy said, I'm getting heat over this shit. You need to step down and you need to do it on your own. Get that fucker done. And that's exactly what he did. Now, what I found interesting about George Santos was that when he did it yesterday, he said, you know, I've learned my lesson. Everything from here on out is going to be above board. Well, that's nice, George, but you committed crimes. You lied about everything in your life from where you went to school, where you worked, your ethnicity, your religion, everything you fucking lied about. You don't bear any resemblance to who the people that voted thought you were. That's bad in its own right. Then you throw in some of the financial issues, how you all of a sudden came up with $700,000 from one donor, which is illegal, how you took a financial uh, disclosure, lied on it at first, and then decided to change it. And it was signed by a treasurer who said, I didn't sign that. So it would appear as though you forged the signature of said treasurer on that financial document. You got all kinds of problems. Anyway, he stepped down off his committees. But did you know (laughs) there are some Republicans, some shitty Republicans that we do not like that got taken off of committees as well? Not in the House, but in the Senate. 
This is true. And I was very pleased to see this. And I think it's very interesting. We talk a lot about Mitch McConnell. He is the Senate Minority Leader from Kentucky. He had the option, and he has pulled Senator Rick Scott of Florida, who tried to oust him as the Senate's top Republican in a bruising leadership race off the powerful Commerce Committee. Um, he pulled him off the Commerce Committee. And, and, and what you'll note here is that at one point, Rick Scott was going to try to be the leader and go up against Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell did not forget about that shit, and he took his ass down. And to be perfectly honest, as evil as Mitch McConnell is, I've always said he is a smart guy. He sees the problems with Rick Scott. He sees Rick Scott may be part and parcel to uh, some of the January 6th shit. So he's going to save some face, and he yanked Rick Scott off his committee appointment. But he wasn't the only one. McConnell also removed Senator Mike Lee of Utah, another Trump-humping piece of shit. Mike Lee supported Scott's bid to replace McConnell as leader from the Commerce Panel, which has broad jurisdiction over a swath of federal agencies. So Rick Scott wanted to replace Mitch McConnell. Mike Lee supported him in doing that. And Mitch McConnell said to his own party members, fuck around and find out. And they found out. The GOP leader insisted last year that he didn't take the attempt to end his leadership reign personally. But the latest move sends a clear message to conservatives that's challenging McConnell's leaderships carries a cost. And he almost had to do that because if you don't, then it's going to happen every time you turn around. Mike Lee said, McConnell got to pick. He kicked me off. He kicked Lee off, Scott confirmed in an interview. Scott acknowledged that running against McConnell was likely the reason he was booted from the panel despite his relative seniority on the committee and experience running a major company. Now, the thing about it is, is Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell had seniority and they had experience on those committees. So to make a claim that uh, he shouldn't have been taken off because of his experience, yeah, tough shit. That's what happened to Schiff and Swalwell. Turnabout is fair pro play. Scott said, I probably ran the biggest company almost any senator in the history of this country has ever run. I was governor of the third biggest economy in the United States, Florida. I've got a business background, Scott said, ticking off his credentials. Yeah, so the fuck what? <laughs> I had this friend in school one time who had this stupid saying. says, fuck with the bull, you get the horns. And that's exactly what happened here. But Scott and Lee have teamed up to challenge McConnell's leadership of the GOP conference on fiscal and spending decisions. And Lee gave one of the nominating speeches for Scott's bid to take over as GOP leader. Scott said he learned of the decision in a text message. One personal familiar with the episode described the Florida senator as furious. Oh, I bet he was steaming mad. 
Other conservatives agree the leadership fight was a major factor in the decision to remove Scott and Lee from commerce. Now, McConnell insisted in November that he didn't have any hard feelings left over after Scott challenged him in an acrimonious race, which McConnell eventually won by a 37 to 10 vote with one senator voting present. So, you know, Scott wasn't even fucking close. I'm not in any way offended by having an opponent or having a few votes in opposition, he said, after he was reelected following hours of tense discussions with the GOP conference. He said, but I'm proud of the 37 to 10 win. Yeah, Can you imagine that a senator <laughs> might have malice towards somebody who tried to take away his power? Oh, that could never happen. Not with Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell is an angry, mean son of a bitch. He's also a little evil. But he does understand how the government works. He understands the system, the process. Scott and Lee do not. Or at least they don't act like they do. Maybe they're trying to change it. I don't know. But uh, they're not smarter than McConnell. And this points that out perfectly. Scott had more seniority on the commerce panel than Cynthia Loomis, a Republican from Wyoming, who already serves on two other ALS committees, the Banking and Environment and Public Works Committees. And Lee had more seniority than Shelley Moore Capito, a Republican from West Virginia, who also sits on the Appropriations Committee and serves as the top Republican on the Environment and Public Works Committee. Now, one Republican senator said Scott took a risk when he openly questioned McConnell's leadership of the conference after the disappointing election. What did he expect? Exactly. He knew this was coming. You can be mad all you want, but you knew you were going to get fucking nailed. Now, McConnell replaced Scott Lee and Senator Ron Johnson, a conservative who left the panel to take a coveted seat on the Finance Committee with three first-term GOP senators. (laughs) Now, if you think taking these clowns off, you're going to get better people in there? No. He replaced them with Senator Ted Budd of North Carolina who is a fucking nutcase, Eric Schmidt of Missouri, and get this last one, J.D. Vance of Ohio, you know, the author of Hillbilly Elegy, the Trump-humping, flip-flopping piece of shit in Ohio that beat Tim Ryan. Yeah, it's not going to be much better on those committees, but at least those two others learned a valuable lesson. Don't fuck with the alpha. (laughs) which is weird. When you look at Mitch McConnell and listen to Mitch McConnell, he doesn't appear as much of an alpha, but in the Republican Party, that's what an alpha looks like. So that's how sad it is to be a fucking Republican. Now, it was interesting. We know we're dealing with this debate limit being raised and how the Republicans are trying to hold the country hostage, threatening to crash the economy if they don't get their way, trying their bully tactics. Essentially playing chicken with the economy of this country. Kevin McCarthy says there has to be some cuts 
in spending if he's going to allow his people to vote to raise the debt. Now, the interesting thing is whenever they're asked, so what do you want cut? They will say nothing. They don't have any specific things they want cut or things that they will admit to. We hear about Medicare and Social Security. Some say, yeah, we want that. Some others say, we don't want that. That is an election killer if you say you're for that. So I'm not surprised that they're wishy-washy about it. But you know what they do. They don't say anything. And then when it comes down to it, they stab you in the back. These fucking trump are backstabbers. But, and, and of course, Joe Biden has said, we're not negotiating for shit, which I think is the best standpoint to take. This is a game of chicken. Have the courage to run it right up to the wall because the, Dem- or the Republicans will bail at the last minute. So anyway, Speaker Kevin McCarthy on Wednesday, yesterday, left a meeting with President Biden signaling optimism about the chances of an agreement between the White House and Congress to avoid a government default, though neither side made any comments. So Kevin McCarthy asked to meet with Joe Biden, and Joe Biden said, sure, come on in, let's talk. But I'm sure Biden said the moment he sat down that, uh, yeah, I'm not negotiating with you. McCarthy told reporters, I don't want to put any words in his mouth. We had an hour of conversation about this, that, and I thought it was a good discussion. And we walked out saying we would continue the discussion. So they accomplished nothing, which isn't surprising since Biden's not willing to negotiate. McCarthy told reporters at the White House, and I think there is an opportunity here to come to an agreement on both sides. Now, McCarthy acknowledged that he and Biden had differing perspectives on the debt ceiling, though he did not get into specifics, saying he would not negotiate through the press. Biden and the White House officials have said Congress should raise the debt limit without conditions, while some Republicans have argued any vote to raise the debt ceiling should include cuts to government spending, which is just a smoke and mirrors show. This debt has nothing to do with future spending. It's money already spent, already been approved by Congress. So it's just a matter, should we pay our bills or should we not? Democrats think we should pay our bills. Apparently, Republicans think we shouldn't. Simple as that. Interesting thing is that when the um, um, Kevin McCarthy was over at the Capitol again, he did appear to rule out one compromise idea that has been floated in which Congress would vote to raise the debt limit in exchange for the creation of a commission studying ways to curb spending. McCarthy said, I don't need a commission to tell me where there's waste, fraud, and abuse. Nobody needs a commission in the American public to tell us that we have spent too much, McCarthy said. Really? then why don't you tell us where it is? If we all know, if you all know, why don't you tell us? The reason they don't tell us is because they don't want that sticking to them when it comes to election time. They don't want to say what they want to cut because that will come up during the election. 
That's why they keep the Democrats keep talking about Social Security and Medicare. They have talked about that. Not all people say they agree to it now, but you know if you give them half an inch, that's the fucking first thing that they will do. So Joe's playing this well. I'm not going to negotiate with you. If you're going to crash the country, it's on you. It's not on me, so fuck yourself. And that's, that's the role he has to play here. The White House said in a readout of the meeting that Biden and McCarthy had a frank and straightforward dialogue. <laughs> that's a far cry from what Kevin said, isn't it? Oh, we had a very productive meeting. I think we'll come to an agreement. <laughs> Biden's people said we had a frank and straightforward dialogue. Like, yeah, fuck you, Kevin. Get the fuck out. During the meeting, Biden indicated he would welcome a separate discussion with Congress about ways to reduce the deficit. President Biden made clear that as Every other leader in both parties in Congress has affirmed it is their shared duty not to allow an unprecedented economically catastrophic default, the White House said. The United States Constitution. This is the important part that the Republicans fail to understand. The United States Constitution is explicit about this obligation, and the American people expect Congress to meet it in the same way all of his predecessors have. It's not negotiable or conditional. By not raising the debt limit, that goes against what we're told in the Constitution. And who is more of a constitutionalist, at least in the words they say, than the Republicans? But here they are trying to get what they want, and they're willing to go against the Constitution. So how can you take these motherfuckers seriously? You can't. Now, this meeting was really the start of a long process that's expected to culminate in early summer, say June. The government is on track to default as early as June if Congress does not raise the debt limit, which could send the U.S. and global economies in a fucking tizzy. The debt ceiling allows the government to pay for spending commitments it's already made, not future spending. It marked the first time Biden and McCarthy had sat down in person since McCarthy took the gavel as Speaker last month when Republicans control of the House, got control of the House. Now, just before the meeting, White House sent out a memo from the National Economic Council Director, Brian Deese, and Office of Management and Budget Director, Shalanda Young, stating that Biden would press McCarthy to commit that... Uh, the U.S. would not default and release a budget proposal on behalf of House Republicans. Now, of course, the White House is talking shit about McCarthy in recent days for claiming the GOP wants to strengthen Medicare and Social Security. See, that's how they play this. They want to cut Medicare and Social Security, but they're doing it under the guise, no, we just want to strengthen it. Listen, motherfucker, you are the ones that told us you think they're entitlements when they are not. For you to tell us that you want to strengthen these things is a clear and blatant lie. We know this. We know Republicans fucking lie. So Kevin McCarthy, uh, Kevin McCarthy uh, can't be believed. I'll be honest with you. If you put Kevin McCarthy in a room with Joe Biden to negotiate, to talk, whatever they're doing, 
Joe Biden is a legitimate politician. He's got 50 years in the Senate, vice president and president of the United States. He knows his shit. He knows what's going on. He knows how to work the system. Kevin McCarthy is on the opposite end of the spectrum. He doesn't know fucking shit from shit. And he's not a serious guy. How do you take a guy serious like this? See, Kevin's in a tough position. He knows he can't crash the country. He knows he can't stop raising the debt limit. But he made this commitment. He sold his soul to MAGA, and MAGA is holding it over his head. And with MAGA holding it over his head, he can't win either way. If he sides with raising the debt limit, MAGA will uh, have a motion to vacate as fast as they possibly can and kick his ass out as Speaker of the House. But if he sides with MAGA and somehow he's able to stop the raising of the debt limit, he's going to crash the country and pretty much end it all for Republicans. And Kevin McCarthy put himself in this position. He was so greedy. He wanted that title. Now he's got that title. Now he's the weakest Speaker of the House in the history of the United States. And he's caught behind the eight ball. Either way, he's going to fucking lose. And I'll tell you this, Kevin's not brazen, brave enough to not raise the debt limit. He would be seen as one of the greatest villains in this country's history, maybe in world history. And Kevin likes people liking him. Now, in spite of that, I was talking about how Kevin took off Adam Schiff and uh, um, Eric Swalwell from committees. They were select committees, so he had a choice to do that. Well, he's got one more he wants to pull off a committee. My home state's representative, Ilhan Omar. He wants to take her off a committee. Unfortunately, on this one, it has to be voted on by the full House, and I don't think he's going to get this one. People are kind of upset, and I'm talking about Republicans upset about the circus he's creating in the House of Representatives. He's going to be hard-pressed to to uh, stop at least six Republicans from voting for Ilhan Omar. Because keep in mind, um, we've got 212 votes on the Democratic side. Of course, she'll get all those votes. Then they need six from the Republican Party, six in the House of Representatives from the Republican Party. Keep in mind, MAGA only makes up of about 20 people, so they're a small number. They don't carry any weight other than the the, the, the noose hanging over Kevin McCarthy's head that they hold the other end to. So I'll be surprised if she gets voted off this committee. But Kevin has to do this because if he doesn't do that, Mag is going to get mad, the motion to vote vacate, and then he's potentially fucking gone. McCarthy's announcement was to have the vote today. At some point today, they're going to have this vote whether or not to kick Ilhan Omar from the House of Foreign Affairs Committee 
This is one day after a second Republican holdout, Representative Ken Buck of Colorado, revealed that he would be back. He would back the Congresswoman's ouster. So they already have one Republican backing Ilhan Omar. Now all they need is five. You think McCarthy can uh, can pull that off? <laughs> I fucking doubt it. McCarthy's announcement of a Thursday vote came shortly after the House approved by unanimous consent Democratic assignments for the Foreign Affairs Committee, officially installing Omar on the panel and setting up a floor battle with McCarthy and the House GOP leadership. Republicans have sought to remove her from the panel as a punishment for her comments she made in the past that were labeled anti-Semitic. Ironic, isn't it? These people are hurt by anti-Semitic comments. Well, if you heard the comments, they weren't anti-Semitic. The real reason they want her off, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I don't know that I'm a fan of Ilhan Omar. She doesn't represent my district. I don't know a lot about her. But she has three problems. She's a woman, she's black, and she's Muslim. And we know, <laughs> we know how problematic that is for Republicans. So it's it, what's ironic here is they want her off because of alleged anti-Semitic comments, but they also really want her off for racist reasons and and sexist reasons, and and frankly, they just don't like her, and they really don't have a reason for it. She said something in a speech that you know could have been perceived as bad but it really wasn't that bad. So anyway, McCarthy told reporters, oh, so now we can vote her off after learning that the House approved the assignments. Thursday's schedule released by House Majority Leader Steve Scalise confirmed the vote will take place today. We'll have enough votes, even though there's some members who are out, unfortunately, because of family, McCarthy added. The speaker also made his announcement after Buck, who staked his opposition to the re resolution last week, revealed that he would support the resolution when it comes to the floor. He told reporters that he flipped to yes column after Wednesday morning phone call with McCarthy, who suggested he was willing to reform the process for kicking members off the committees. Buck is the second Republican, actually, to flip from an opponent of the resolution to the supporter in the past two days, Representative Victoria Sparts of Indiana, who announced on Tuesday that she would vote for the measure days after initially issuing a blistering statement against it. Sparts said her stance pivoted after McCarthy agreed to add due process language to the resolution. Now, she probably got some perk or something to change her mind. They want Ilhan Omar off of the committee. They got Swellwell. They got Schiff off. And, and the fact of the matter is if they can't get Ilhan Omar off this committee, they've accomplished nothing. They can't pass a bill. They can't get anything passed. So all they can do is go after Democrats, and that's what they're counting as wins. Unfortunately, when it comes to election time, that won't bode well for them. That won't be a fucking enough. All right, let's talk about Trump as we get down to the latter stages of this podcast. Donald Trump's got a lot of problems going on. 
We know that Alvin Bragg is in the process of setting up a grand jury to investigate his part in the hush money to Stormy Daniels. Michael Cohen was convicted of that same crime. Donald Trump was an unindicted co-conspirator, so as a co-conspirator, it only makes sense that he was also guilty. And now Alvin Bragg in the Manhattan District is ready to look into it and possibly hand out some indictments. And that problem may be his biggest problem because it's so easy to prove that he did what is illegal. And like Michael Cohen said, the reason it's so easy is because his fucking signature is on the checks. But Donald Trump's got some other problems. As I said, he's losing his grip on the Republican Party. He's not getting many people supporting him anymore. He had this rally down in South Carolina, but very few people showed up and they started saying, well, it's not really a rally. Well, it's not really that you got any people to come. And apparently the thing that he's known best for, grifting, he's having a little problem with that too. Now, the former president raised less than $5 million in the final month of 2022 for his 2024 campaign, barely more than what he cleared in a single day selling Photoshop pictures of himself. Trump's Save America Joint Fundraising Committee reported raising $4.951 million in the final two days of November and all of December in its filing Wednesday night with the Federal Election Commission. Something that might be more relevant for this dominant figure in his party Huff, Huffington Post analysis of transfers to that committee from WinRed, the Republican small-dollar fundraising platform, shows that Trump collected just $2.4 million in the week following his November 15th announcement. Oh, it sounds like they were excited. The next week saw $2 million, and that take dwindled down to $1.2 million in the week after that. His timing was so poor, said prominent Republican consultant familiar with Trump's operation who spoke on the condition of anonymity. Of course, he's scared to death of Donald Trump and why I have no fucking idea. He announced at the exact time of the depression in fundraising for the entire party. But he couldn't help himself. He needed the attention. And so he... I mean, the whole point of him announcing he was running for president, he thought he would be riding that red wave that was supposed to happen in November, the midterms. Well, of course, the red wave didn't happen. It was an embarrassment for the Dem or the Republican Party, and it was embarrassing personally for Donald Trump because of all his endorsees that lost their election. This is at the point where he was the weakest in the Republican Party. Now, the plan was to announce he's running for president, but after situations like that, the wise thing would be to hold off a little bit, try to build up some more momentum before you make this announcement. But Donald Trump couldn't help himself. He announced anyway at the absolute worst time, and he's taking a hit financially. See, here's something, some, it, it, it's a mentality that these narcissists have, and, and a lot of pro athletes have too. They see themselves making a lot of money, and they somehow get into their heads that it will never stop, 
this money will go on forever and I'll always be able to collect this money because I'm so valuable. I'm so important. I know this because I saw my father go through this same thing. He was making lots of money. He figured it would go on forever. But you know what? The business my father was in doesn't even exist anymore because of computers and technology. He didn't plan for that. And the same thing goes for Donald Trump. He thought he could grift $5 million a day with no problem, and now he's not able to do it. Now, the $2.4 million figure is also less than the $2.8 million he raised in the week following the FBI's search of Mar-a-Lago Social Club in Palm Beach, Florida. Um, he raised $3.2 million in the week after he announced the creation of Save America Leadership Committee in Florida's speech. So the bottom line is Donald Trump is weak on all parts of what he's trying to do. People are laughing at this guy because he's saying such ridiculous stuff. Even Republicans are stepping away from him because he's becoming a pariah. He isn't liability, no longer an asset. So he's of no use to them in upcoming elections or even fundraising. So because there is no loyalty in politics, the moment you become useless to people, as much as they claim to love you, they will kick you to the curb. And Donald Trump has essentially been kicked to the curb, not only by his political buddies, but by his base. His base isn't coming through as much as it was when he was in his heyday. And part of that might be is because he keeps going to the well, keeps asking for money, and then gives them nothing in return. Now, these trump are either running out of money or they're running out of patience waiting for Donald Trump to do anything that he's promised. This isn't going to go well. Donald Trump isn't going to get up ahead of steam again and start raising a bunch of money. This is going to keep dwindling and dwindling until he has nothing. And when that comes, throw in a couple of indictments, Donald Trump is done. He's dead on arrival because he's got no place else to go. Absolutely no place else to go. All right, we are going to wrap things up for the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to spend with me. I've got a listener coming on later today. You'll probably hear it tomorrow or whenever, um, but that should be good. Uh, it's a gentleman, I think, who lives in Florida and had some comments. I read his read his. Uh, email yesterday regarding his thoughts on Ron DeSantis. So that should be very interesting. Anyway, you have yourself a great day and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.